Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. So do you realize what happened there? How many of you don't, you, you don't sport, so you have no idea what just happened there? Okay, so here's, here's what happened. It was Kirk Cousins. Do we have any Vikings fans here tonight? We have one. Okay. So, Nehemiah, I hope you're not offended. Uh, but uh, we're going to make fun of Kirk Cousins for a minute. Uh, because who, who here can tell me what Kirk Cousins did? Yeah, how do you think that guard felt? And he's like, whoa, buddy. <laughs> um, so here, here's what happened, for those of you that don't football. The center is the one who lines up with the ball. Ready? The quarterback does what you can only do in football. It's only, all bro code only allows this to happen in football. He reaches between the center's legs and has his hands right here. And when he calls for the ball, when he, he calls for the ball to be snapped, the center snaps the ball to the quarterback. Well, Kirk Cousins, quarterback, instead of lining up behind the center, he comes up behind the guard and sticks his hands right between the legs of the guard. So, um, yeah, that's awkward if you're the guard. You're not expecting that. Um, but here's, here's the point I'm trying to get to. You have to know your position if you're playing football, right? You have to know your position. You have to know where you're supposed to be. If you don't, if you don't know you're a center and you don't realize you're a center, you're going to be very surprised when a man, you're going to be very surprised when the quarterback comes up behind you and puts his hands between your legs, right? You're going to be surprised if you don't know the, if you don't know the position of being a center. Are you following me now? If you want to be good at, if you want to, for those of you that don't sport, here's a little pro tip. If you want to be able to sport, you have to know your position. Whatever, whatever, yeah, whatever sport you play, whether you play soccer, yeah, you got to know what a sweeper means, Right? If you're a soccer, you got to know what it means to be a sweeper. That means you're not, you're, you're not going to be shooting on the goal. You're going to be back there hanging out with the goalie. you got to know your position. Um, tonight, we're continuing in our series on Ephesians. And don't forget your little In Christ stickers. We're doing a sticker for every series. Uh, so they're there at the back when you leave. But we're doing a series in Ephesians. And this, the first section of our series in Ephesians is telling us who we are in Christ. It's telling us our position. And here's kind of the, the big idea of Ephesians. First, you got to know your position in Christ before you know how to play the game of being a Christian. You following? You got to know your position so that you can play. And when I mean play, I don't mean faking it. I mean actually live the Christian life. Sadly, at a lot of times at church, instead of being told who we are in Christ and understanding who we are in Jesus, we're kind of told to fake it till you make it. You ever heard that expression? Fake it till you make it. Pretend like you know what you're doing. So you go to church or you, you, you go to like a Bible study and you're given all these lists of things to do. Don't go to rated R movies. Don't listen to bad music. You know, don't wear your shirt untucked. That's what I was told when I went to school. Don't wear your shirt untucked. Don't have a logo bigger than two inches in diameter, right Brady? Uh, we're given all these rules and somehow we think that if we follow all these rules and we try real hard to act like a Christian, we'll be successful. In the words of Dr. Phil, how's that working out for you? It doesn't, right? You got to know your position in Christ before you can live in Christ. And that's what this, this passage is talking about here. And that's the series we're, we're, we're in. The series is called In Christ. 
the phrase in Christ in the book of Ephesians is mentioned a butt ton of times. Did anybody try to count how many times they could find in Christ in the book of Ephesians? Did anybody attempt it yet? Owen, how many did you find? Thirteen. I found more than that. Did anybody else try to, try to count? No? Okay. Well, I'm going to send you back to Ephesians over the next week. See if you can come up with a number. It's more than 20. I'll tell you that. It's more than 20. So see if you can find it. Pronouns also count. So if it's in him, that counts. So that might have been what was tripping you up, Owen. So this series is in Christ. And you, you, you may not remember what we talked about last week, but here's the skinny. The main point of, of, of last week when we were in Ephesians 1, chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, is the, the greatest lesson you can learn this school year is who you are in Christ. That was the main point. Well, the main point of the passage we're looking at tonight, if you have your Bible, open up to Ephesians 1. The main point is this. You can't learn who you are in Christ apart from the power of God. So if you have your Bible, open up to Ephesians. Does anybody remember who wrote the book of Ephesians? Paul. Who else? God, yes. God inspired Paul to write the book of Ephesians. So yes, you're right that Paul wrote it. Yes, you're right that God wrote it. So these aren't just Paul's words. This isn't the opinion of angry Uncle Larry who posts on Facebook in all caps. This is the word of God. These are his words. And it was written to who? The church at Ephesus. Do we know anything about Ephesus? They had one big God they worshipped. They had one big fat fake God they worshipped. Yeah, named Diana. We'll call her Fat Diana. I don't know. I don't know anything about her. Um, other than the fact that her, they, 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 they worshipped a fake deity. They had this big temple that they did worship in. And they did all kinds of terrible, terrible things that I'm not really quite yet ready to talk about at church. That they did as part of their quote unquote worship service. We'll get to that in chapter 5. But suffice it to say this was a very evil culture. Kind of like... The bathrooms at school when there's like this plume of vape that comes out, right? Um, so it's, that hasn't started yet, has it? Surely it hasn't started. Um, so so the, it, was, it was written to, to these Christians who were trying to live for Jesus when everybody else wasn't. The first section of the book tells us who we are in Christ. The second section of the book tells us how we live out who we are in Christ. Last week, we looked at verses 3 through 14, and it was this crazy long sentence, remember, about all the things that God did so that we could be in Christ, and we could be saved, and we could be justified, and we could be, we, we, we could be adopted as the children of God, and how we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. You remember all those awesome things? If you're like me, you're like, wow, that's a little overwhelming. Did anybody else feel like it was taking a drink from a fire hydrant last week? So much stuff, so much awesome stuff about who we are in Christ. So what we learned tonight, the skinny is that if we're going to really understand what we just read last week, we're going to need God's help. So look at the person next to you say, you need God's help. All right, so let's read these verses in Ephesians. We're going to finish chapter 1. It's going to be verses 15 through uh, 23. So let's read it together. For this reason, what reason? 
We'll have to come back to that, right? For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. By the way, this is also one big long sentence in the Greek and it is in the English. That he may know the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward those of us who believe. I'm already getting, kind of getting a little excited reading this. According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand above, or in the heavenly places, far above all dominion and rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age and the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So tonight is kind of a weird structure. Some of you are used to, Matt gives like three points, a few F words, we pray over someone and we leave. Um, well, I did get the F words tonight. Uh, but I don't have like necessarily three main points. I have like a big idea. I have a commercial. And I have three points about the big idea. All right? So we're going to start with the commercial. Okay? So let, let, let's read. Keep your Bibles open. Get ready to follow along. If you remember, we have the Bible bar set up back there. If you need a Bible, there's a Bible back there. If you need highlighters or pens, there's highlighters or pens back here. Um, let's follow along. And the first thing we need to look at before we get to the main point is what in the world is this? For this reason he prays. This, this whole thing is a prayer that Paul prays. And he says he prays for this reason. Well, for what reason? I think the first reason is because of what he just said. Verses 3 through 14, all the incredible, stinking awesome things that Christ did for us and planned for us. But there's also another reason that he prays. For this reason, because I've heard of what? Your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. Paul is giving thanks to God for these Ephesian believers. What we learned last week was that Paul spent over two years in that city of Ephesus with these believers and they got tight. You know how when you spend a long time with someone, you get tight. You know how when you go through stuff with someone, you get tight. Have you ever been on like, like, like a football team, a soccer team, and it was just a special team and you all put like 110% in every practice and you all get tight. That was, how, that was how the way that Paul felt toward these Ephesian believers. But then he was separated from them. Then Paul was put in prison because he wouldn't shut up. He wouldn't stop preaching the gospel. And Paul gets a report years later that these Ephesian believers are what? That they have faith in the Lord Jesus. They're still believing. And he also heard that they had love toward their best friends. Is that what it says? They had love towards the people who had pools at their house and they could go chill and hang out all summer. Love toward all the saints. Do you see why when Paul got this report about this church, he thanked God for these Ephesian believers who he was tight with because he heard that they were still believing in God and they were still loving the snot out of each other. And he thanked God for that. So here's, here, here's the commercial for me. I can honestly say 
that I can agree with the Apostle Paul that I can give thanks for you all because of that same reason. I don't know if you've realized this, if you've been around for a while, that God is really doing something special at Refuel over the past year. And what I've been seeing is I've seen, I've seen people growing in their faith in the Lord Jesus. Yeah, we, 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 have, we started the summer with baptisms. We baptized Nehemiah and Adeline. We ended the summer last week with three baptisms. We baptized Gabe and we baptized Callie and we baptized Kaylee. I see people growing in faith, serving Jesus, but I also see this. Y'all are loving each other. Y'all are being kind to each other. And you're not just picking and choosing who you love. You're loving everyone. And I, can I just say, like, that's my commercial, that I thank God for you. But I also want to give you a word of warning. Because this isn't the end of the story for the church of Ephesus. Don't lose your place in Ephesians 1. But y'all got 10 fingers, right? Are you, how many of y'all have at least two fingers? Okay, if you have two fingers, you can do this. Okay, keep a finger in Ephesians and turn to Revelation chapter 2. You didn't think, of all the places, you didn't think we were going to be in Revelation chapter 2, did you? But Revelation chapter 2 tells us the story of the rise and fall of the church of Ephesus. Paul wrote the book of Ephesians through God's inspiration in the year 62 AD. That was like a long time ago, right? Jesus appeared to John, another apostle, in the year 95 AD and gave John words to say to different churches in the area. And God gave John a word to say to the church at Ephesus 30 years later. Now what did we learn in Ephesians? In 62 AD, Paul says, I thank the Lord because of your love toward all the saints what does Jesus say to the church in Ephesus 30 years later? He said in verse 4 of Revelation 2, I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. What a sad ending. We don't know if it's the end, but what a sad rise and fall of a church. A church that used to love people and has left that love for God and each other. What you learn, we don't have time to get into Revelation, but what you learn is that, that this church was doing a lot of things right. They had all the doctrine exactly right. They knew exactly what they believed, why they believed it. They were little apologetical, you know, wombats, you know. But in all their zeal for that and all their excitement over being right and being heard and, and, and being correct, they forgot to love each other. It's really sad when you kind of put them one after the other. 62 AD, I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward all the saints. 95 AD, I have this against you. You've abandoned the love you had at first. They go on to be instructed to go back to the things they did at first, to go back to the love that they had toward, e toward each other and for God. So I thought before, this is the commercial. I thought before we continue in this passage, let's have a time of prayer. And let's pray that God continues to bless us and that God continues to move our hearts to love each other. So if you're sitting next to someone, put your arm around them. It's not weird if it's a church. Calories don't count if it's a church meal. It's not weird at church if you put your arm around someone. 
So let's pray that God continues our love for each other. Let's pray. Uh, God, thank you for what you're doing here. God, we've been seeing lives changed. Um, we've seen lives turned around. Uh, we've also seen some really incredible acts of love toward each other. Now, God, I pray that Refuel will always be a place where people who come in the doors are loved and accepted. I pray that as, as we get into disagreements, which is bound to happen in a group this size, that we'll even find ways to disagree in love, that we'll be kind toward each other, that we'll be patient toward each other. And God, we could, do a lot of, we could do a lot of things right, but if we don't love each other, we've got it all wrong. Uh, so God, I beg you and I plead with you that you don't stop moving here and you don't stop moving our hearts to love each other. In Jesus' name, amen. So that was the commercial. So don't stop loving the snot out of each other. So turn to the person next to you and say, love the snot out of me. All right. <laughs> you got to say it in a loving way. All right. So let's move on to the main point. And this is the main point. What, what, what's Paul saying? What, what, what's going on here? He says, I don't cease to give thanks, to, thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. What's he praying? Here, I got to change my color here. This is what he's praying. That the God of the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him, having your eyes, your hearts enlightened, that you may know, that's the big word, know, K-N-O-W, not N-O, K-N-O-W, that you may know. All these things, the hope that God call, has called you to and the, the riches that you have in him and the power that is, that is, 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 is towards you through Jesus is that you may know. Look at some of these words that tell us what, what we're talking about. That you may give us the spirit of wisdom and of what? Revelation. You know, revelation doesn't just mean a book in the Bible that talks about the end times. Revelation just means when God reveals something to us. This entire book, or this entire Bible is revelation. It's God speaking to us. So here's, here's the main point. You can't learn in Christ, or you can't learn who you are in Christ without the power of God. Paul is asking God to give these believers power to understand how awesome it is that they're in Christ. There's a really interesting passage in, remember I said, you, you, still, you don't have a finger in uh, Revelation anymore, do you? Okay, keep your finger in Ephesians and turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 now. What we learn in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 is that people, you know what I mean by default setting? You know how when you get a new phone, it, it's like default settings. And you have, to, you, know, you have to log into your iCloud account. You have to load all your settings in. It takes a little while. The default setting of people is not to understand the things of God. Did you know that? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. It says, as it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor the heart of man has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. We, in our natural minds, can't even begin to understand how awesome it is to be in Christ and how beautiful the promises God has toward us. But it says these things, these awesome things that we on our default setting can't understand, God has revealed to us through the Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. Look at what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. It's incredible. It says that the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. 
Verse 12 says, we've not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit of God, that we might understand the things freely given to us in God. So the Holy Spirit understands all the things that God the Father has for us. And not only does he understand them, he inspired people like Paul to write those things down. He says, we impart these as, this as words not by human wisdom, but taught by the spirits, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Look at verse 14. The Holy Spirit also opens our minds and opens our hearts to be able to understand the things of God. It says in verse 14, the natural person doesn't accept the things of God, default setting. They're folly. That's another word for like stupidity. They don't make sense to normal people. And normal people aren't able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. But the spiritual person judges all things. Verse 14, who has understood the mind of the Lord? We have the mind of Christ. When you put your faith in Jesus, you're given the Holy Spirit to live inside you. This is top shelf type stuff. You keep your thinking caps on for like another second. It's going to get real, real. All right? When you put your faith in Christ, when you believe in Jesus for salvation, the Holy Spirit comes to live in your life. And through the Holy Spirit living in your life, you can understand the awesome things that God is doing and will do in your life. Does that make sense? So that's the big prayer that Paul is praying here, that the spirit of wisdom and revelation, having your eyes enlightened, you'll know all these awesome things and that it'll impact your daily life. So what are the things that we're supposed to know? What are the awesome things that God is going to open our hearts, open the eyes of our hearts to understand? Well, there are three things that, that Paul is praying that these, the, these Ephesians understand. And these are three things I'm praying you understand too. And what I did tonight was, Jordan kind of helped me with this, is I have some people who are here to help me with this. And the first person who's going to help me demonstrate this is McKaylee. Where are you, McKaylee? Well, come on up. <laughs> Give it up for McKaylee. So, McKaylee, I'd like for you to just like stand right here. If you can do that, just stand right here. So, we've said that people normally on their default setting cannot understand who they are in Christ. But God has given us the Holy Spirit to illuminate us, to open the eyes of our heart to understand who we are in Christ. Can I have an arm? Make it face the... There, well, why don't you come on this side of me? Okay. All right. So, I'll start this again. The Holy Spirit illuminates and helps us understand who we are in Christ. That without the Holy Spirit, we would never know what hope we have in Christ. So, isn't that cool? Okay. We would never... Now, you got to stay there for a minute. What hope we have in Christ. This hope that the Apostle Paul was writing about was the hope of Jesus' return. He talks about that in the first like 14 verses of Ephesians chapter 3, chapter 1. The hope of Jesus coming back. Did you know that the, the early church, the early believers believed Jesus could come back at any minute? And to them, that was great hope. But you know what happens? Is that most of the time, we're so busy doing homework, which we should do. We're so busy going to practice, which we should go to. We're so busy brushing our teeth, which we should do. Too busy putting on deodorant, I think I just add that one, which we should do. Too busy scrolling on TikTok, which maybe we shouldn't do as much. 
but we get so distracted and we get so focused on what's going on right now that we forget that we were wired when we were saved to have a hope in Jesus's return. Give it up for McKaylee. So that's the first thing we need to know. The first thing that we're supposed to understand is what hope we have in Christ. Now, there's a difference between the way we understand hope today and what this hope means. I've said all kinds of things. I hope my mom will make an apple pie for Thanksgiving. It's a 50-50 sometimes she makes pumpkin pie. I hope the Dallas Cowboys will win the Super Bowl this year. Can I get an amen? Okay. That's a hope. That's a wish, isn't it? When we think of hoping, we think of wishing. Sometimes when we think of hoping, we think of this like white girl manifesting type thing where we think we can just speak things in existence. If we say it enough and enough and enough and enough, it'll eventually happen. You know, that doesn't work, right? You've tried that before. Some of y'all been manifesting a boyfriend for five years and he's still just a figment of your imagination, right? Uh, so, so it doesn't work. This kind of hope is a different kind of hope. What this, what this word for hope means is it means a certainty and an assurance of the future. You know, I had up here earlier a picture of that big Ephesian temple where all these people sacrificed to this fake fat god, Diana. If you could go to Ephesus today, you would find that temple and it's in ruins. If you went to that temple today, you would not find the people who were worshiping the big fat Diana because they've all died. But if you were to go to Ephesus and you were to say, where are the people from the church at Ephesus? You know what the answer would be? They're not here. They're with Jesus. They had the hope. It was written on their arms. It was a part of who they were in Christ. But most of us, when we look in the mirror, we forget that we have eternal life. And when we realize that we have eternal life, some things just get put in perspective that don't matter as much. They feel like they matter, but they don't matter as much. We realize that we have eternal hope in Christ. Who cares what people think about us? If they think we're weird because we believe in Jesus. We have eternal life. There's a hope and it, it, it changes our daily life. Most people look for hope in boyfriends and girlfriends and clothes and, 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 and followers and, and, and achievements. But this is a hope that will outlast it all. Through the power of God, we see what hope? Then my next um, demonstrator is going to be Haley. Where are you at, Haley? There she is. Yeah. <laughs> Come on up here, Haley. Now, give it, a, yeah, give it up for Haley. Which arm do you? Is that, is it that? Okay. So mo most of us also, we just walk through life and we don't understand that in Christ, what riches we have. What riches we have in Christ. Most of us, well, I don't. I don't know about you. I don't feel very rich. You know, I don't own any place called like the Trump Tower. Uh, you know, I don't have a company called Tesla and a company called X and a company called SpaceX, right? But did you know that because you are in Christ, you are rich? But most of us, we walk around looking at what we don't have. Most of us walk around looking at what everybody else has. And we don't realize that because we're in Christ, what riches we have in him. Give it up for Haley. Thank you, Haley. We don't realize what riches we have in him. Now, I want to show you something because this is just crazy. This is like, this is one of those, you have to read it about 50,000 times to make sure you actually read what you thought you read. It says the riches of his glorious inheritance. Who's his? 
Jesus, right? It's talking about Jesus specifically, about Christ. His glorious inheritance in the saints. So what are the riches? Whose riches are they? First off, they're Jesus' riches, right? The riches of his inheritance. The riches are us. Do you see that? The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. This is the side of the coin we don't think about very often. We think about how rich we are that Jesus is ours. And that's facts. That's a hunt, that, that is exactly correct. But you know, on the other side of the coin, the Bible talks about us as the church. It describes us as a bride being prepared for her bridegroom. And we learn in the Bible how Jesus is working to perfect us and make us complete and make us more like him. If you go back to verse number four of this chapter, it talks about how we are, God, Jesus, or the Holy Spirit is working to present us holy and blameless before God. We are Jesus's inheritance. Jesus says, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you and then I'm going to come again to receive you unto myself. How are we the riches of Jesus' inheritance? It's not because we're so great. It's because of what he's invested in us. You know what he invested in us, right? His blood, his suffering, his agony. And he continues to work in our lives to get us ready so that we can be made holy and blameless before God. You know, God has a history of calling people not what they used to be and not what they are, but what he's making them into be. You ever heard the story of Gideon? You ever heard that story? Old Testament, Judges 6. Gideon is, is an Israelite, and the Israelites are afraid of the Midianites. It's a lot of ites. I don't know if there were any termites around or not, but there was the, Gideon was an Israelite, and the Midianites were, were surrounding the nation, and he was scared of the Midianites. So he got down into this wine press to thresh his grain and to, and to prepare his food. And God sends an angel to appear to Gideon who's cowering in this wine press and he says, hey mighty warrior. What? <laughs> you talking to somebody else? Hey mighty warrior. He's like, don't you mean to call me like wimpy thresher? No, you are a mighty warrior because you're going to lead God's people to victory over the Midianites. He saw Gideon for who he was making him to be. What about in Matthew chapter 16? You ever heard of the guy, you ever heard of Simon Peter? He used to be just Simon. And he was crazy. Every, all of us have like that bipolar friend, right? Like that, that, that friend that's like this, right? And you're either having to like pump him up or you're having to calm him down, right? Anybody have a friend like that? Well, that was Peter. Peter was like this and then he was like this. Peter was like, Jesus, I'll like kill half the world for you. And then Peter's like, I don't know that guy. Wishy-washy, sandy, up and down. And you know what Jesus says to Peter? He says, now I'm going to call you Peter. You're not Simon anymore. I'm going to call you Peter. I'm going to call you Cephas. You know what that word means? Rock. Before there was Dwayne Johnson, there was Simon Peter. And Jesus said, I'm, I'm going to call you Rock. And I, can't, I, I can imagine like the other 11 disciples, they're like talking amongst themselves and they're like, Rock? Peter? That guy? Like, they're probably snickering, but Jesus knew exactly what he was talking about because when Peter saw Jesus had, had risen again and 
believed in Jesus and trusted in Jesus, his life was changed and he became a rock. He ended up being crucified upside down because he wouldn't let, he wouldn't let people stop him from talking about Jesus and telling others about Jesus. He became the rock, but Jesus saw him for who he would be before he was who he would be. And it's the same way that Jesus sees us. We are the riches of his inheritance. But man, how many of y'all go home and you feel like everybody at home is annoyed with you? And then, you, I'm not asking for hands, but like you can if you want. And you go to school and you feel like everybody ignores you. You try out for a team and nobody wants to pick you. You know, the whole two captains thing. And you just have to go to the team because you're the last one picked. But Jesus looks at you and he sees you for who you're going to be. Holy and blameless before God. That you have value because he paid for you with his blood. What riches. The final thing that, Jesus, that God helps us see through his power, through the Holy Spirit, is going to be demonstrated by, I believe, is it, is it Miles? Yeah, Miles. Come on up. Give it up for Miles. So through the illumination of the Holy Spirit in our lives, working in our lives, God shows us what power is at work in our lives. Look to the person next to you and say, I got the power. Now, now look at the person next to you. Say it again, only do it like the song. I've got the power. Okay. So back up here, looking at Miles. Most of us don't feel very powerful, especially when you wake up on a Thursday morning. You've been out at refuel late last night. You roll out of bed five minutes late. You start sniffing clothes to see if there's anything fresh you can put on to go to school. You throw it on. You grab a Pop-Tart on your way to school. And you forgot that you have a test. You know, all that stuff that happens. And you don't feel very powerful. You feel very defeated. Through the illumination of the Holy Spirit, we realize what power is at work in our lives. Give it up for Miles. Ah, I went all the way back. Don't get a, there we go. What power? Anybody else like fireworks? Okay, you might like this. So let's go back to the scripture here. And we're gonna, we're gonna spend the, the, the remaining talk, talking about this power. This is the, what is at work? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? First off, this power isn't for everyone, is it? Who's it for? What does it say? Toward us who what? Believe. How do you get saved? Believe. Do you get saved by climbing Mount Everest? Do you get saved by going on mission trips? Do you get saved by going to VBS? How do you get saved? Believing. In, in, yeah, I believe. Uh, in verse number uh, 13 of this chapter, it talks about the, the sequence of salvation. It says, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Everybody's story is a little different how they came to Christ, but it all has these three components. We heard about Jesus. Somebody told us about the good news that Jesus died on the cross in our place for our sins. And we believed that. And when we believed that, the Holy Spirit came inside us and sealed us and saved us. So this power is at work in people who believe. But can I just show, I, I don't have time to go in all the, uh, into, into every single one of these words. But I just want to show you something. 
What is the immeasurable greatness? That's the word in the Greek. It looks like the word mega. Greatness, the mega power. This word for power is the word dunamis, which is where we get the word dynamite from. So it speaks of the potential for power toward us who believe according to the working. You know what that Greek word is? Energia. You know what that word means in English? Energy. Active power. Working of his great might. That word great is the word krat... I've got to watch how I say that one. Kratos. Which has to do with his authority. His great powerful might. And that word might is, is a word that... It, it pretty much means his dominance. So what I did was I took all those words and I kind of combined them into re interpret or retranslate this verse with all the color of those words. I want to show it to you. I call this the WPRT. You've probably never read this version of the Bible. It's the West P. Ridge translation. Um, but if we were to take the meaning of all these words, this is what it would mean. What is the immeasurable mega dynamite power toward all of us who believe according to the energy of his forceful dominating power over things? That's a lot of power, isn't it? And what you, what you see here is that, that, that Paul, and you'll see here through the whole, the whole book, we're almost done, the whole book, sometimes Paul gets on a roll. You ever do that? You just get pumped up. Like you get super hyped. And Paul gets pumped up and he just starts dropping bars. Like some of us who are on the mission trip, like, like we know Cade can drop some bars. Um, but Paul starts dropping, he gets so excited, he starts dropping some bars about how powerful God is. Look, when he finishes with this sentence, he goes in and he starts saying this. He starts saying, the power that was worked at Christ when he raised him from the dead. So this, we learn about this in other parts about the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. And it's in you. And it's in you. I sound like Oprah. Everybody gets a car. And you. It's at work in everyone who believes. The same power that rose, raised Jesus from the dead. And the same power that seated Jesus at the right hand of, of God in the heavenly places. And this is where he gets on a roll. He talks about the, the power that put Jesus, that it put Jesus far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that's to be named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet. So essentially, Paul's saying, what could stop this power that's at work in you? Could death stop it? Well, no. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in you. What about earthly authorities? Can Joe Biden stop this power? Absolutely not. Can... Can spiritual authorities stop this power? Absolutely not. We learn about that in, in, in chapter 6 of this book. Even Satan can't stop the power that's at work in you. Even Satan's demons can't stop the power that's at work in you through God. And then he kind of gets down to, well, what about those of us who are just really, we need God with skin on. You ever get scared when you're a kid and you want your parents to come in and chill with you for a little bit just because you're a little scared when it's, when it's bedtime? I still do that every once in a while. I call my dad and he comes over and chills with now. Uh, <laughs> that'd be weird. Uh, <laughs> be weird for April too. Um, so anyway, um, but I, I remember when I was a kid, yeah, I can't remember how old I was, but you know, I, I was scared, scared of the dark. So my dad would come in, hang out with me for a little bit. And then he'd leave and I'd say, dad, I, dad, I want you to stay with me. And he's like, it's okay. God's with you. I was like, dad, that's kind of a cop out, right? I was, so I'd say, but I want somebody with skin on to stay with me is what I would say. Well, here's what it says at the end. The power that's at work in you, it's not just at work in you singular, it's in work in you plural. 
The church, verse 23, is his body, the fullness of him who, feel, who, uh, who fulfills all in all. There's a lot of power at work in you, whether you realize it or not. But what Paul prayed and what I pray for you is that when you walk through the halls of Huntington High School, of Cabell Midland High School, of Covenant, of Grace Christian, when you go to your living room or your kitchen and all you homeschoolers, or you just do school in your bed, like I feel like that would just be goals. Like, wherever you go tomorrow, if you're a believer in Jesus, God's power is at work in you. You can't learn who you are in Christ apart from the power of God. I got four F words for you, but I'm running out of time. So what I'm going to do is here in a minute, I'm just going to put them on the screen and I'm going to let you write them down. Um, when we leave or take a picture of him. But I want to end with a story of a guy. Um, his name was William Randolph Hearst. You've probably never heard of him, but he was a very, very wealthy man in the 20th century, owned all kinds of news outlets and publishing companies. He had money on money on money on money, and he was an art collector. And he had a warehouse full of art. And he had a guy that would go find pieces of art for him and buy, buy them for him and take them to his warehouse. And he was reading a magazine that had all these different pieces of art in it. And he found one that captured his attention. So he called his guy. And he said, can you find me this piece of art? A week later, the guy called him. He said, I can't find it. And he said, I must have it. Look longer. Look longer. So he called another week later said, I still can't find it. William Randolph Hearst said, spare no expense. Hire as many people as you need to to find this work of art. I must have it. He got a call a week later from his guy. And he said, I located it. I found it. So Hearst said, well, where was it? You know what his guy said? He said, we found it in your warehouse. You already bought it. Some of us are looking so hard for hope. And some of us are looking so hard to, to, to feel valuable and to feel riches. Some of us are looking so hard for power in our life. It's already in your warehouse if you're a believer in Jesus. Let's pray that God opens our eyes to who we are in him. I'm gonna pray. I'm going to put up my F words for you to take pictures of when we're dismissed. And then we're going to put something in the middle and pray. So let's pray together. God, more than anything, we need to know who we are in you. Before we can live for you, we got to understand our position in you. And so God, I pray for each student here and each leader here and for me. God, that our eyes, the eyes of our hearts will be opened to what hope we have in you. To what riches we have in you and what power we have in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Refuel podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store on any mobile device.